Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. Before we uh, get into our actual study tonight, I need to uh, retract a statement that I made last week. I didn't realize I made it. And uh got a phone call this week. Somebody was watching online and uh, said, you made a statement that the, the word grace is not found in the Old Testament. And for whatever reason, I remember saying that. What did you just say, Dan? Okay, Alan, do you remember me saying that? Okay. <laughs> you remember Dan, remember. Okay, I got that. Okay, you didn't hear it all. Okay. Uh, but I did say, I rem- for whatever reason, I remember saying that. Uh, how many know that's not true? Uh, and, and, and by the way, um, <laughs> the person who called me, I won't tell you her name, Beverly, um, and I do appreciate that. She said, I think you were just testing us to see if we were watching or not. Uh, but at any rate, I went you know, and I said, you know, I just can't believe. I remember saying that. In fact, I, I even emphasized, do a word search, and you won't find the word grace in the Old Testament. Well, that's not true. Okay, grace is found 39 times in the Old Testament. And uh, so, uh, again, I challenged them to do a word search, and they did do a word search. Of course, but then I thought, wait a minute. She said, you probably meant gospel, and I did. The sad thing was, I went back to my notes, and my notes said gospel, not grace. And so I guess I had my tongue over my eye teeth and couldn't see what I was reading. But again, I did say it, and it's really kind of strange that I remembered that I did say grace is not found in the Old Testament. So I do retract that. I stand corrected. And by the way, I appreciate those who are watching and those who take the time uh, to call and to say, hey, you know, you might have messed up here a little bit. But it is found 39 times. But the truth of the matter is you won't find the gospel of grace, the gospel of grace in the Old Testament. One of the first times you find the word grace is with Noah, of course. Noah found what? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I don't know how I could forget that. We preached several weeks on that one. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, only a couple of times, most of the time, uh, and one example was when Abraham's servant went to find uh, a wife uh, for his servant's son. And, uh, and the servant said to uh, the family, if I found grace in your sight, I'm going to do this. So you see it a lot of times that way. But you never hear about the gospel of grace in the Old Testament. Now also, if you think about the word gospel, it makes sense you don't find it in the Old Testament. Because the gospel is about what? Jesus Christ. So it does make sense. So I do stand corrected, and I appreciate those who listen close enough and call me when they, when, and let me know what I've done. And so I do apologize. Well, we're going to continue tonight on the gospel of the grace of God. And what a tremendous message that is. And so let's go back to Acts chapter 20, and somebody volunteer and read uh, verses uh, 22 through 24. I must have the wrong notes up there. Thank you, Dan. 
I, I know we, we spent a little bit of time on this last week because that is our, uh, actually verse 24 is our foundational verse uh, where Paul talks about his ministry is to testify uh, the gospel of the grace of God. But again, let me remind you, Paul is heading back to Jerusalem. Uh, he wants to get to by Pentecost. He's already missed Passover. And he has an offering he's received for the saints at Jerusalem. And he wants to get there again to, to celebrate Pentecost. And so to save time, he decides not to go inland uh, to the church of Ephesus. But he calls for the elders to come uh, there at Miletus, there on the, on, the, uh, uh, on the coast, if you will, of Asia, uh, or Asia Minor. And uh, he has them come. Now, again, and Dan, thanks for reading that. What kind of emotion do you see here? Or do you see anything at all? Yeah, very, it's, it's so emotional. Uh, yeah, he, doesn't have, he has no idea. And the thing is, he's already told him, he says, you know, as far as I know, you'll probably never see my face again. But I think what's interesting here, notice Paul's attitude. He said, it doesn't really matter where God sends me. And he said, I, I realize that, you know, according to the Holy Spirit, uh, everywhere I go, uh, the Spirit of God testifies in every city that trouble waits for me there. So did Paul say, I'm not going? No. No, he said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because I want to finish the ministry that God has given me of the Lord Jesus Christ, to tell everybody about the gospel of the grace of God. So would you agree that the gospel was a priority in Paul's life? Absolutely. And so, you know, one of my, that's one of my favorite texts. And it's kind of interesting. It's been quite a few years ago now. And uh, I heard a preacher teach on that. And one of the things he said as he read through it and he, and he finished it, he said, one thing people do, they miss the emotion going on here. And the, and the emotion, he was right. There's a lot of emotion in this passage. It's sort of Paul's farewell to the church at Ephesus, but he also realizes what's waiting for him. Now, he didn't know exactly what it was, but he knew it wasn't going to be easy going uh, to Jerusalem. Now, here's the situation that we're in as human beings. All of us, because of the fall, uh, we have a tendency, if you will, uh, to be legalistic. Somehow we've convinced ourselves we can make ourselves better. And haven't we as a, as a nation been trying to do that for years? And, and, you know, we try and we try and we try and we try. And because of that tendency, there's always going to be a need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what we can't miss. What we could never do for ourselves, guess what God does for us? Yeah, he does it through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have the ability, I don't have the capability at all. I just simply can't do it. And so we've always got to go back to the fundamental of the faith. And as long as this earth endures, there's always going to be a need to preach the gospel of grace to everyone. Because no one can be good enough, but thank God Jesus was. We can accept him as our Savior. And the problem is, because of our uh, inerrant pride in our lives, uh, we, t- we really believe that at least in part we can do something. At least in part we can be our own Savior. But what's, what's true about that? Nothing. Let's go to our, I guess, the 
probably the most clearest verse on grace. Ephesians 2, look at verses 8 and 9. What's that verse tell us? It's all by what? All by God. All by grace. Nothing at all. And again, I mentioned this last week, uh, and I think about this all the time. Paul was a student uh, of humanity. He realized if there was anything we could do, we'd brag about it. So Paul says, we have what reason to brag? Absolutely none. It's all by the grace of God. Kind of interesting, and we'll be in First Corinthians in a little while in our study tonight. Uh, but when Paul wrote that first letter to the church of Corinth, uh, you know, he talked about taking about around chapter seven. I might be wrong with my chapter, but he talks about no matter who you are. You know, they were saying, "Well, I, I was bab- I was I was baptized by Apollos or Peter or whatever." And Paul said, "It doesn't matter. We're simply vessels used by God. There's nothing important in us." And we have to understand the gospel has to be the foundation of all Christian ministry. And so that being said, um, what have we contributed that would cause us to deserve God's grace? Nothing. Not one thing. And even as Christians, we've got to guard against trying to shy away from the truth and the very substance of the gospel. Except for the grace of God, there go I, right? And it's only by the grace of God. We're going to look at least three things about the gospel. We kind of touched on the first two a little bit last week. Number one, the gospel is a revelation of the grace of God. Now, that being said... And now we've cleared up my mistake from last week. We know that grace is mentioned in the Old Testament, but not the gospel of grace. But my question would be, how long has God been a God of grace? Thank you, Dan. Forever. From eternity to eternity. And so what I want you to realize tonight is, is the fact of the matter that the gospel reveals to us the grace of God. It shows us that God is a God of grace. And, and by the way, uh, again, going back to Acts chapter 20, verse 24, uh, Paul talks about testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. And that certainly would be one of the uh, titles that uh, the Spirit of God gives to the good news. And by the way, that's the good news we are called to preach, the gospel of the grace of God. We talked last week, we're just going to mention them again, not read the verses. Uh, there are different names given to uh, the gospel in the scripture. It's called the gospel of God in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It's called the gospel of Christ in Romans 1, 16. It's called the gospel of peace in Ephesians uh, verse uh, 15, uh, 6, verse 15. Now, what is grace? First of all, three quick things. It has to, grace is very blessed and very joyous. How many are glad for grace? Amen. Where where would we be without grace? Yeah, we'd be lost. We'd be in trouble. Nothing we could do for ourselves. And also, grace is the exact opposite of the law. <coughs> and so we have to understand that they are complete opposite. But it also is the very opposite of justice. I reminded today as I went back through these notes one more time. 
You, and I know you remember the time when they brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus. What did the law say should happen to her? She put to death. That's opposite, okay? But also justice demands that she be put to death. But I should laugh her grace. Now, and, I, and I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, if we have time to talk with her, I think she said, you know what? I'm glad for grace. I am glad for grace. And certainly we all ought to be glad for grace. So, number one, the gospel is a revelation of the grace of God. Now, remember, God's always been graceful. But the gospel reveals that God is indeed a God of grace. Now, again, let me ask you a question. Why would God bring the gospel to us? Because we earned it? We deserve it? Ah, we need it. And guess what God knows? He knows we need it. And so it's all about the gospel of grace. So it reveals the grace of God. But second of all, the gospel is also not only a revelation of the grace of God, it's a proclamation of the grace of God. Now we talked about this a little bit last week, and when we think about that, uh, this proclamation is kind of used in a, in a double sense. Uh, first, there's a narrow sense of the grace of God, and the fact is, the narrow sense is basically simply that God provided a Savior. Now let that sink in for a moment. God provided a Savior. What if He didn't? We'd all go to hell. Amen, Dan. We'd all be in trouble. And that's sort of the narrow sense. Let's go again, because I think it's important. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4. Thank you, Dan. Now, Paul actually, actually began this in verse 1, and, and down through verse 4. is really a definition of the gospel. But it's interesting in verse 4, we see it in the narrow sense. And, and folks, this is the gospel. That Christ was, he died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. But notice the last part of this. The last phrase says, according to the scriptures. What does that mean? Thank you, Dan. Yeah, amen. This wasn't Paul's idea. Now remember, you know, Paul was not an easy convert. You know, he, he kind of came his way, I guess, scratching and clawing against God, if you will. But Paul realized, once he would say, he realized, you know what, this is what the Old Testament talked about. It wasn't his idea, it wasn't some group idea. This came from the Old Testament. He died just the way the Bible said he would. <clears throat> so that's the narrow sense of the gospel, yeah, sort of in a nutshell. But in, in a wider sense, it kind of comprehends the whole revelation which God made of himself in and through Jesus Christ. Uh, this verse just came to my mind. I don't have it in my notes. But in, I think John chapter 1 verse 18 uh, talks about how the law was there, but Jesus came and he's the express Express the Son of God. Somebody find that verse. I just butchered it up there. Somebody find John one eighteen. Anybody got can look it up for me real quick. Um, but we're talking about the whole of the gospel, the whole teaching of the New Testament. 
Let's go to Romans 1.1. 1, 1. We find John 1.18. Somebody let me know. Anybody got John, uh, Romans 1.1? 1, 1? Okay, thank you. Uh, now, again, Paul is introducing this letter to the church at Rome. And uh, he uses the term the gospel of God in a, in a wider sense, if you will. And basically, he's including, by this introduction, uh, the whole doctrinal exposition that he's about to share in that letter. Now, again, the first 11 chapters of Romans are very doctrinal, and chapter 12 kind of turns on, on a hinge, if you will, to make it practical. But all that is part of the gospel in a wider sense. And so we have it used two different ways, in a very narrow sense and a wider or a broader sense as well. Anybody got John one eighteen yet? What the, say it again. Okay. <laughs> right verse, wrong idea I had there, okay? <laughs> okay. But again, he revealed God without a doubt. But I, I was thinking of the verse where uh, how the law and, and grace came by Jesus Christ. Is that in the same chapter? Oh, Okay. Thank you. That's what I was like. Okay, one ver- I was one verse off. Okay. So, thank you, Alan. All right, that's pretty close anyway. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, Jesus brought about grace and revealed uh, the grace of God. And certainly the gospel is proclaiming uh, the grace of uh, God. Now, it's interesting. Uh, we know that the Great Commission uh, in the gospel, Jesus uh, told the disciples uh, to go out into all the world and do what? preach the gospel. And uh, probably not you know, that all that the New Testament, he didn't mean everything in the New Testament, uh, but the fact that he says, look, the world needs to know that God has provided a Savior. And who is that Savior? Jesus Christ. The world needs to know that. Folks, this, is, this overwhelms me. God provided a Savior for sinners. And I was one of them. God provided a Savior for me. And Jesus said, go out and preach that to the whole world. And so that's why we're, we say tonight that the gospel is a proclamation of the grace of God. It reveals God's grace, but also we preach uh, the grace of God. Now remember, what's our only hope? Jesus. He's our only hope. And so the gospel is just an affirmation <coughs> that grace is our only hope. And if we're not saved by grace, guess what? Not saved. You can't be saved at all. It has to be by grace. Suppose somebody says, you know what? I think I reject this offer and I'll wait for the other one. Uh, no plan B. Only by grace. The gospel of the grace of God. I think about this, folks. There's no doubt in my mind 
grace implies that our case was desperate. We were in desperate straits. There was no healing of our sins unless God is merciful. And he is. And the gospel of God's grace is particularly for those sinners in whom there is no other help. Remember the time in John 6, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He talks toward having a Bible study about drinking his blood, eating his flesh. And the people began to scratch their head. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And John says that from that point on, a lot of them turned away. And Jesus turned to the disciples and he said, will you also leave me? And Peter, speaking for all of them, because the word you is plural in the Greek, he was speaking to all of the disciples. But Peter answered, what is remember what his answer was? He said, Lord, where else can we go? For only you have the words of eternal life. And so, folks, this grace, there's no other opportunity. There is no, like Dan said, no plan B. Somebody once said that I just can't believe that God only only shows us one way. I'm glad he showed us a way. Isn't that true? That's grace. That is grace. Some some years ago, quite a few years ago now, I was coming back. I take my brother back uh, down to Camp Lejeune. He was in the Marines, and he was running late. I drove all night to get him there. He slept all night. He was really worried, you know. And I knew, and he knew, if he was late, uh, that, would, that was the last time they'd warned him before. He would be in the brig. But anyway, uh, coming back, I come across Pennsylvania Turnpike. Didn't know where I was at. Didn't know how turnpikes uh, worked, you know. And so I uh, had my, my younger brother with me. I pulled in there and a bunch of truckers in there. And I started to ask him, hey, can you guys tell me the way? Not a one, they wouldn't talk to me. They wouldn't even answer me. And uh, I thought, wow. I'm glad Jesus showed us away, aren't you? He didn't keep it to himself. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Anybody got that? Want to read it? Acts 10, 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now, again, Peter is speaking here. He has been summoned by God, by the Holy Spirit, to the house of Cornelius to preach to the Gentiles, and salvation comes to Cornelius' house. Peter comes back, and he's sort of giving a summary of what went on. Now, do you think Peter had ever had a problem with Gentiles? Sure he did. God had to give him a vision. Had to show it to him three times to put that sheet coming down. And God basically said, Peter, don't you call anything. I've created unclean. And that was sort of the preamble to what went on here. 
So Peter comes back and tells the other Jews. He said, first of all, understand, when it comes to salvation, God is not a respecter of person. What does that mean? It doesn't matter. Jew, Gentile, bond or free, Scythian or Greek, doesn't matter. Of course, really only Jew or Gentile. He doesn't, doesn't matter who you are. But also, <coughs> it's for every nation. Now, most of the Jews at that time thought it was for who? For Jews, for our nation. It's not. It's for every nation. But then he narrows it down. He says, also for anybody who fears God. So who's anybody? Yeah, whoever. So we can't miss what Peter is saying here. And so Peter says, you know what? You know, finally a light bulb has gone off in his head. Now, it doesn't mean he won't ever struggle again, because we know he does. But the bottom line is simply this. Peter is now beginning to understand uh, the universal application of Christ's work on the cross. But he also understands that this offer of the gospel is not just for the Jews. It's for every nation and for every anyone who fears God. It's a universal offer. I'm glad it is, aren't you? The universal offer of God. Now, here's what's interesting. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. It is good news. It doesn't tell us what we are supposed to do, but it speaks of what Christ has done for us on our behalf, what we can never do for ourselves. And the gospel, now hear me, was not sent to good men, but to bad men, to bad people, if you will. And so grace is something only worthy of God. The gospel of grace is a proclamation of the grace of God. I am so glad that God is a God of grace. So number one, the gospel is a revelation of God, the grace of God. Number two, the gospel is a proclamation of the grace of God. And number three, the gospel is a manifestation of the grace of God. So let me make sure we understand that the gospel reveals God's grace. The gospel proclaims God's grace. But the gospel also demonstrates, gives us a visual aid, if you will, of the grace of God. Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. Okay, what's Paul saying here? What's he saying? Say it again. Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes we're ashamed, I think, to share the gospel, or we're afraid to. And, you know, even in, in our culture today, for the most part, uh, we might get ridiculed, but there's no persecution. But Paul could have been persecuted. And he's very adamant here. And the reason Paul was not ashamed of the gospel 
because he knew from his experience that he has preaching it, that the gospel had the power to transform lives. It has the power to transform lives. So Paul was excited, determined and excited to take it anywhere to anyone who would listen. Because he knew that gospel could change their lives. And Paul realized it wasn't just a good idea. It's the power of God to those who believe. Those who believe. Everyone. The power of God under salvation. It's interesting that gospel is powerful because the power of God resides in it by nature. I remember even as a younger Christian and sharing the gospel and sometimes being worried, you know, what, what do I need to do? How do I need to say it? Just give it. The gospel has power in itself. The gospel changes life to those who believe it. Those who accept it. Also understand, the gospel is able to change who? Anyone. Anyone who is willing to listen. Anyone who is willing to believe. It's good for salvation. The power of God unto salvation. So salvation is a forgiveness of sins, but it goes deeper than that. It also includes a restoration to wholeness that we simply didn't have before Christ came to our lives. He restores our lives He makes us whole again. He restores what was destroyed. And that can only come through the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel is a chosen instrument that God has chosen to use in freeing and delivering his people from sin, from ignorance, from error, from the way we used to live, and deliver us from the power of Satan. Now remember, what has the power to do that? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's only through the gospel applied by the Holy Spirit that anyone is liberated from guilt, from shame, and the power of sin. Thank God for the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I am not ashamed of it. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read verses 18 and then skip down and read verse 23. Interesting here. Uh, now remember, I mentioned chapter one earlier. Some are saying I'm, I'm, I'm of uh, Peter, I'm of Apollos, whatever. And Paul said in chapter one, verse seventeen, he came to preach the gospel. Didn't care about groups or division. I came to preach the gospel. <laughs> but Paul says there's two results. Two results. Now remember. We know Paul preached to a lot of people, but did everybody Paul preached to become believers? No. So for some, it sounds foolish. Uh, those are the ones on the road to destruction. Uh, those who are seeking worldly wisdom, 
the message of the cross says, uh-uh. It doesn't make sense. Who wants a crucified king? But another group is, those who believe, it is the very power of God. Now remember, the gospel is more than a true story. The gospel is more than just a good way to live. The gospel is the very power of God. And only with such power can the gospel message redeem sinful people and transform them into God's people. Only the gospel has the power to do that. Now remember, those who don't accept the gospel believe that those who proclaim the gospel, that we're being ridiculous. But my friend, they don't understand the power the gospel has to change their lives. Now, by the way, <coughs> our message does hold the answer to life and death. Because if it didn't hold that message, the answer to life and death, then it would be silly and it would be superficial. But my friend, the gospel has the power to change life. And that's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. So my question is this. And we know there are many in our world that do not believe the gospel. Does that change the truth of the gospel? No. Does it change the power of the gospel? No. It's the power of God and His salvation to everyone who believes. And that's why Paul says we ought to have this attitude. That we should never be ashamed of the good news about Jesus Christ. And the reason we should never be ashamed is that without a doubt is the power of God at work. <coughs> saving everybody who believes. And Paul was not shy about sharing the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we need to remember and be reminding ourselves there is absolutely no substitute for the new birth. None whatsoever. Whenever you try to substitute evolution for the new birth, whenever you try to substitute making somebody better in their character for faith in the blood of Christ, whenever you try to substitute developing willpower uh, for simply humble dependence on God, uh, whenever you try to uh, be attracted by just human reasoning, all of it is useless and will never bring salvation to those who are perishing. Now, by the way, I like to think positive most of the time. I don't always. But will positive thinking get you to heaven? No. We've got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no gospel in a system of ethics. Uh, there is no dynamic in the demands of the laws. Because the bottom line is, righteousness can never, ever be legislated. It's a matter of the heart. And only the power of the gospel can change the human heart. Folks, how many know, well, this is a rhetorical question. Does grace work? Yes. Grace works. 
And folks, grace, and we're talking about the gospel as well, uh, it's something more than just a good-natured smile. It's something more than just a sentiment of pity. Because grace redeems. Thank God. Grace conquers and grace saves. And that's why Paul was committed to preaching the gospel of the grace of God. The New Testament interprets grace as power. Look at Hebrews 2.9. Anybody got that? Wow. That he, Jesus, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Wow. That amazes me. I look at that verse and I see about God's grace referring to the fact that God sent his son to die for me. God sent his son to die for undeserving sinners. By grace, redemption comes. Because the Bible is very clear. The writer of Hebrews says it was by the grace of God that Christ tasted death for everyone. Everyone. Ephesians 1, seven. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Second Corinthians twelve nine. Everybody got that? What does it mean sufficient? It's enough. It is enough. Amen. Well, I need to stop there for now. I'm not, I'm not feeling well all of a sudden. So if we don't mind, let's have prayer and we'll dismiss. Can we do that? Alan, would you do that, please?